Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Hello, everybody. My guest on the podcast today is the very incredible Michelle Bahari. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Kathy. Great to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Let's, let's go, I want to go right back to the beginning, but let's go back to your OT skills and the Delta Centre and what you established in Melbourne a little while back. Yeah, thank you. So I set up the Delta Centre in 2002, which was already hard to say this, but 20 years into my my practice. Um, So my background uh, was that I was an adolescent and youth mental health specialist, uh, both um, obviously as an OT, but I'm also a group psychotherapist, an individual psychotherapist, and I have a post-grad diploma in family therapy as well and was an OT manager working in that space for many, many years and loved clinical work and loved working in small organisations where I could work closely with a multidisciplinary team supporting young people and their families and still as a manager being able to do clinical work because I was really passionate about clinical work. Moved into private practice probably in the early 90s and then set up my own centre in 2002, primarily so that I could have a great work environment. I never really saw the centre as being a business. I didn't want to, as such, that I wanted to employ lots of therapists. It was never, I really wanted to maintain being a clinical specialist. And um, as I was raising my kids, really have an ideal environment for me to work within. So, yeah. And the Delta Centre had a range of rooms, um, but you weren't hiring or contracting services from memory, were you? No. So I've got a number of practitioners. There's eight practitioners that work out of the centre, predominantly all with mental health background. So Mm. there is another OT um, here who's also like me, a family therapist and has got a very extensive mental health background. There's a few psychologists and a few social workers and we have one speech pathologist as well and one of the psychologists um, is a, she's a clinical um, psychologist and child psychologist. So we have one room set up that's more for kids and the other three rooms are set up Mm. more for adult and couple and family work. Mm. Yeah. And they all rent, basically ostensibly rent space. So it helps pay for reception. It pays for the sort of lovely environment that we work in. And also we have a great collegial relationship. So there's a lot of cross referrals. Um, We also have as part of this an employee assistance program, which is small because I've never invested very heavily in it because it's, again, not my primary focus, but we do provide EAP services to a number of businesses that are located in the South 
east suburbs of Melbourne in the sort of Caulfield and beyond area, probably within about a 10k radius of us, different sort of organisations like a disability support service through to an engineering company, through to a travel company. So a few organisations that we partner with to provide EAP services. So that's an, in addition to our regular um, clientele practice, yeah. I did not know that about the EAP. Yeah, oh. it's, yeah, and I mean that's a very untapped part of the practice that one day I may have the energy to sort of invest more into. But yeah, it's come up through a number of people actually approaching us, and mm. uh, I see it as a. I think that where mental health is within the broader small business area, I think that will continue to expand. And I think it is an untapped, at this moment, it's a quite an untapped opportunity, but it's not my priority or primary thing. So, mm. so even though it's not your priority, there could be people listening who don't know yet what an EAP is or the mm-hmm. benefit of it. So do you want to just explain that super quick we are down the rabbit hole already already so um employee assistance programs have been around for decades um but they have mainly served big big corporate companies and it's where big companies have traditionally contracted a provider who provides um specific psychological therapeutic counselling short-term interventions for staff, for employees who can access those services completely confidentially and generally for very time-limited periods. So generally employees can only get three or four up to six sessions of that sort of counselling per year and it can be for personal or for work-related issues, doesn't have to be work-related and it really comes out of an understanding that um, obviously employees' mental health uh, is very influential in how people can concentrate and be productive at work and by providing some additional support to people, there is definitely a lot of research that shows Roughly, there's a $2.30 uh, return on investment for those sorts of services. So it's very good for workplaces to offer that. So big corporates have done that for years and increasingly smaller organisations provide that mm. as well as providing that um, we and other organisations also provide uh, in-house training, uh, manager assist programs when a manager is concerned about a staff member's well-being, doesn't know how to have that conversation. Um, maybe there's some interpersonal issues in the workplace from an, for a number of different areas. So it's not that manager's own personal or professional need, but it's specifically looking for some guidance for some experts like us. So we also provide that that sort of input, as do a lot of the EAP services. Yeah. Oh. I believe this is going to be a, a an increasingly necessary and required uh, part of lead, managing a, a small business, and uh, leading a team. Uh, a lot, an increasing number of my business coaching clients are engaging uh, services, and the trigger when I hear it for me is, oh, I feel as though I'm counselling the team all the time. Yep. And I really challenge the notion of whether that is the best care, just the best care for the employee and even the best um, energetic management 
investment for the business owner as well. So. Yeah, I, I, I so agree with that. I think that um, one of the traps, particularly as a, from a perspective of being allied health and a clinical workforce, is that we are so comfortable counselling. We are so comfortable in a therapeutic role. For many of us, even probably more comfortable than we are being leaders and managers and business owners. So I think sometimes it can easily be that default setting. Um, and it's something that we're concerned about our staff, but it actually creates all sorts of boundary issues. And it's so much, uh, I think, more cost effective and much more strategic from a business and leadership perspective to offer something, um, you know, that's, yeah, the way there's a clear boundary that this is something mm -hmm. we offer, we care about your well-being. Um, one of the, the advantages I think we have is that we're all mental health registered, so people can have three or four se sessions funded by their organisation if they want to continue with us. Those staff can employees can go off to a GP, get a mental health care plan, and we can continue on uh, offering them something. So that that works um, really well. But I, I think it's businesses are seeing the value of that, which is mm. just fabulous. So it's great that again, it's been quite a passive process. But I think one day that could be something that I'll put some effort into. But at this point, it's lower on my priority. <laughs> so many other priorities. So oh, no, rubbing my hands together. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We will circle back to that one one day. So yep. back to the early days of business for a moment. Uh, what, uh, what surprised you about being in business? I loved being creative so I think one of the things that probably for many practitioners uh, one of the best things about stepping outside the public system is being able to do things your own way and be creative being able to meet the needs of clients obviously in alignment with uh, your professional structures and ethics and all of that but at the same time to have a whole sort of creative perspective so I love that I love that we've got an environment that's really creative I love that we could see clients as often or as little as was neat you know we weren't mm. fitting into someone else's rhythm and routine as is required when you're working in the health department so that's that's been great from just how we decorate um, to how we interact to the sort of cross referrals and relationships that we have. Yeah, it's, it's involved a lot of creativity, which I, I've really absolutely loved. Mm. What about the marketing and the finances and the nitty gritty having a bit of a plan? How did that stuff resonate with you? Yeah, so I've really enjoyed a lot of that. Um, I loved having a vision. So every five years I'd develop a vision and um, share that with the practitioners here and close family and friends. Um, haven't always loved the financial side. Um, but the re main reason being I've had a few... Uh, tw twice employed very poor bookkeepers who did a lot of the wrong things and that took me down a lot of big rabbit holes, spending, wasting an, an incredible amount of money and um, in hindsight probably should have done some more training myself and so that I could have been a bit more discerning but I, I trusted um, and I'm a very trusting person so that's maybe been something I've had to sort of think about but it's certainly at some point I got a lot of training and I could then monitor things um, 
much more carefully mm-hmm. and, and that's just so not an issue now. Um, yeah, so there have been some good things and some challenging things as I, I think that there, there always is. I, I'm probably um, unusually left brain, right brain balanced and unusually big picture, small detail balanced. You know what I mean? I like it all. So um, I, I don't think everyone's like that. But, yeah, I have loved having that sort of big picture vision and then working towards it but filling it in with all the, the bits along the way. Mm. So along the years, the Delta Centre is still going and yep. um, providing yep. um, amazing services. But michellebahari.com dot au dot com emerge yeah yeah and so what was your sort of thinking in terms of your I guess it's personal brand and and perhaps I don't know I think I need to hear your answer but I'm imagining it's about wanting to have a one to many impact um, and maybe your personal brand and working on a different stage what was what was that thought tunnel so I think. Part of it has been organic. So one of the things I've loved about the business as well has been that there's been organic growth and through particularly, you know, with child rearing in the background, relationship breaking oh, yes, there's up always in the background. Someone who needs there, to be fed. Parent dying in the background, you know, all, all the other life. stuff that go, is going mm. on in life. One of the things that I'd love because I've been a supervisor, I think my first supervisee approached me in about 32 years ago so I've been in practice for 38 years since I graduated and so I've had supervisors I've supervised literally hundreds of mainly OTs but also a lot of social workers and psychologists um, and then a lot of business owners and leaders from CEO you know big big uh, for some smaller and bigger organizations and one of the things that I found is that I was having very similar conversations again and again and again. And it got to a point where I thought, gee, it would be so much more cost effective for them and better financially for me if I was delivering a lot of this in a training um, context. And so I started, yeah, probably delivered my first two-day supervision training about 2002, so around the, exactly the time that I was set, uh, set up the centre and yep eight people came loved it got lots of positive feedback and it's developed from there um and the content has been so influenced by a few things but primarily by the sort of development that i saw i was supporting in so many of my supervisees whether it was around their leadership practices whether it was around supervision whether it was around resilience and well-being or, you know, the emotional intelligence, the self-leadership. I mean, I've developed a lot of, a lot of content over a lot mm. of years and it's really grown out of the things that I found myself really needing to support the development of in my supervisees. We get so well trained clinically and, we, as you know, we are so poorly trained to be leaders, to lead ourselves, to manage our resilience, to manage our businesses. We, we have, you know, so much evidence in the clinical perspectives and we ignore organisations, many of us, we sort of ignore or are unaware of the incredible evidence there is for so much of the other work that influences how we deliver 
even at a clinical level. So that's what I became really interested in. And so out of that, yeah, I, I realised over time that I had a brand that people were seeking mm. me out because I'm a very, I guess, big-hearted, generous, caring sort of person. Um, you know, I give a lot. I'm pr very present. I've got integrity um and so people would seek me out to come and speak at their workplaces and it's almost in a way kathy grown through demand rather than through design um you know people have approached me and i've in fact i think to some degree having been a therapist and so much of it having a good reputation and people coming to me I it, it's ended up being a bit of a prison almost because i've had a always had a flood of clinical work, a flood of supervision work, and then invitations for training. So the work has come to me. I haven't actually designed, I've, I've designed it in response to the demand, um, but I haven't always had this big picture, oh, I want to have this type of business in five years. I knew some of it, but not not all of it. So it's it's been very, very interesting. Yeah. So what does your typical work week look like nowadays, given that there's your own, you know, workshop and coaching programs and some clinical work and yep. life and business? How does it hang together? Yeah, so I, on average, would spend uh, generally two and a half to three days a week in working with in organizations mm. so predominantly delivering training all over Australia and New Zealand um, and a significant part of that would still be within the health and mental health sector and uh, some of that would be in other related areas like working with Victoria Police, social workers and psychologists, forensic care, working in the justice system, education but then I've also do a lot of delivery in big corporates. So some of my current clients are organisations like QBE and IAG, very large insurance companies. And I tend to be well known in the customer complaints area, working with very the high-end customer relations departments where they're employing lawyers and very highly qualified people to deliver complaint handling so in those sort of organizations I do lots of uh, leadership training and resilience training um, I'm about to start a uh, six session big program with one of the ombudsman's offices for example in leadership uh, so they're the sort of key things um, within health I'm doing similarly a lot of supervision training supervisee training increasingly training around psychological safety, workplace culture, building a resilient workforce and understanding that doesn't just involve people, individuals being resilient, but also understanding that leadership practices and workplace culture needs to be aligned with that. Um, so interestingly, I'd say in the last particularly 12 months, I've had a lot more private practices approach me to provide uh, training to or particularly around resilience and well-being mm -hmm. some of it's been around supervision and leadership as well but it's been most the bulk would be around resilience so yeah it's really about organizations really investing and understanding the importance of investing 
in the work environment, in the interpersonal relationships and in the self-management. So that's been um, a lot of it, spoken a lot this year at big conferences, CPA, you know, the Chartered Professional Accountants. Sp I've spoken with their um, three times this year and a big legal conference. So, yeah, it's very, um, it's interesting. So that's, that's probably the main part of the week. I still probably do about two hours of clinical work every fortnight probably. I have clients that I've really seen over many years and they would be so disadvantaged to be handed over to someone else. So I've chosen not to do that and partly because I still love clinical work. Mm. So I still do a little little bit of that and similarly probably about two hours of uh, professional supervision um, and then a bit more of, uh, of executive and more senior coaching type of programs. But the training and facilitation really is the bulk cool. of the work and, um, yeah, and again that becomes, you know, as you say, a one-to-many where you're making a very big impact on you know, um, you know, many of them are leaders who are leading five to ten people. So you work with a, you know, you do a leadership retreat um, offline somewhere, and you know that it's influencing a massive number of people, which is just mm. such a privilege. Mm. Yeah. When do you get the business side of things done, like the forward thinking or the wrapping up or the proposals or the strategy when does that stuff happen yeah so I have a business manager three days a week so Tamsin she's absolutely fabulous I've had her for about 18 months I have two part-time office staff who manage them all, all my public programs and one of them's a bookkeeper or she's actually got an accounting background so she manages all the books and I really don't have to do very much about all of that that's all very very well taken care of and um, so I do set aside time uh, for writing. Um, I've actually written the bulk of a book this year on above the line leadership. It's sort of getting quite close towards completion. And I've got two other books in the background that are sort of being developed through, um, um, you know, recording workshops, mm. transcription. So, that, so some stuff's being done to prepare so that I can write in the cracks once this book is complete. Um, and so, yeah, I will organise with Tams and we spend probably a good day, a fortnight together and part of that will be very much around business planning. So we have a, you know, quarterly plan of what our primary goals are um, and then every two weeks we'll look at, you know, who's in, our, who's in the funnel, where, where's everything up to with all the proposals that are out. Everything is very... Um, uh, pretty structured so you know I've got a lot of stock standard things that are very easy to then quickly tailor um, we have a lot of uh, very good processes I guess in place for the practical side but also the customization side of things so yeah I think it's I took a lot of effort to put all those systems mm -hmm. into place but they're very very well developed now which you know does you know make it a lot lot easier so I definitely wouldn't ever allow my five days a week to be fully 
occupied. I think, you know, it's always important to have at least a day or a day and a half to, you know, to do the business thinking, the planning. Um, yeah, so that's that would be it. And probably I, I probably would say that sometimes I do because I do a lot of travel, which I still love. Um yeah, that, you know, of times in airports, times on flights, sometimes being away I find really useful to help stand back and look back and think about all of that stuff as well. Mm. Yeah, nothing beats a uh, two-hour flight to um, get some writing done or some mm. drawing or some mm. forward thinking done because um, there are no competing priorities. There is... Mm. Well, sometimes there's internet, but it's just such a, yeah, I find it a very creative time mm, mm. en route. Yeah. En route. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love the idea, the idea of uh, a business day every two weeks um, with team and without team and, um, it, yeah, I love the sound of the systems and the funnels and making sure that people are moving and getting what they want and that you've got some check-in points across a fortnight, a month, a quarter. Mm. Absolutely love it. It's Kathy Love here interrupting your listening. Did you know that we are running a private practice business retreat with the laser focus of Towards Business Brilliance? Kingscliff, northern New South Wales, a few minutes south of Coolangatta Airport, but most importantly, June the 12th, June the 13th, and tickets are on sale now. Make sure you are checking our Facebook pages and our Facebook group that you're on our email list. This is a boutique event. Chantel Robards and I are in the room with very wonderful allied health business owners for two days, shifting the gears, shifting the gears. We can't wait to meet you. So make sure you get that ticket and we will see you in June. Well, let's go back to something you said a, a few minutes earlier about private practices contacting you. Um, I didn't write down exactly what, but I, I remember that they're inquiring about resilience and emerging leadership uh, as well. And I would like to sort of bring to the, the private practice conversation um, psychological safety as well. So what are, what are some of the challenges across those three topics that you're you're hearing about um, through your through your people I think that um, there's been a, I think uh, just to put this into a bigger context I would say that what's happened over the period of time that I've been in the workforce that what I'm noticing and many other people would be noticing as as well that as a society we are building our recognition, understanding and language around a lot of things that make a difference to work. So, I mean, uh, one very obvious one, obviously, is emotional intelligence, that around 1990, the whole construct of emotional intelligence was articulated. Now, of course, there were people who were emotionally uh, intelligent long before we yeah. had that construct, but we didn't talk about it, make sense of it, articulate the skills of it. And so it existed, but we couldn't actually influence it. But the need was actually, we were very hungry. And if you look at um, a lot of the, the work that's been done around AI, you can just see how hungry uh, business was for understanding what was going on. And I think in a similar vein, what's happening right now is that we're recognising that beyond emotional intelligence and that construct, there's a whole psychological 
um, uh, you know, that the, that the workplace is like a psychological sea that we work within. Um, so all our interactions are based on the psychology of things. And for me, really, we haven't had a language around it. Um, and increasingly, we need to talk about it because we know that it's highly impactful. You know, the vibe of a workplace, every interaction can either support people's productivity and performance or undermine it, you know, bullying, harassment at one extreme and <clears throat> high levels of um, appreciation and valuing staff and being present to staff obviously highly optimises performance and productivity. So we, we know these things are unbelievably important, but it's until now I think it's been more hidden, it's been maybe more recognised by some and maybe for some completely ignored. But definitely the whole level of trust, which is really a lot of what psychological safety is around, um, is vital to any workplace and workforce. And psychological safety, I think, is really very much about this, the level of safety that we feel to be real in a work environment where we don't have all the answers, where we might have questions, where we might want to contribute an idea and not be, um, had our eyes rolled, you know, someone's eyes rolled or someone, you know, looking down at someone else, but where it's actually safe, psychologically mm -hmm. safe to share all sorts of thoughts, questions and ideas within reason. But you know, that there's, there's, a, there's a safety around that. And this is what I think is really recognised now very much through the work of people like Amy Edmondson and a lot of the work that uh, Google has done through Project Aristotle, recognising that, in fact, for a high-performing team, psychological safety is the number one key criteria. And yet what's so interesting is that we're not even considering how do we employ people who can participate in psychological safety. So what, what is the sort of workforce we're looking at employing? You know, who actually, what sort of staff have the sort of skills of emotional intelligence, of openness to learning, of teamwork, which I think are the three, in my perspective, the three areas that needs to feed into um, psychological safety. So you can have the best clinician, but if they're not open to learning, not a team player, and no emotional intelligence, it can be absolutely damaging for the performance of others and for the sort of vibe of the, of the workplace. So we can employ, as I've mentioned before, we can employ brilliant jerks who might be great individually, but if, when you're trying to build a business, it's got to be a team. It's got to be a group of people. It's not just people working like islands on their own. Otherwise, you would just let them all be in private practice. We're bringing together a business. It's to actually get the benefit of everyone's um, innovative thinking and ideas. So absolutely. Mm, that's so important. Yeah. So in your current work how how do you kind of measure that level of safety and how do you work with business owners to promote it mm. so i mean there are there are certainly assessments that um have been developed uh, both 
uh, Amy Edmondson's work and Google's work to really look at that. Um, I've also d developed something called a thriving workplace barometer, which looks at all the different sort of skills that are required intrapersonally, interpersonally and within a culture that really support a thriving work environment. And some of them are directly related to psychological safety. Some of them are some of the other broader um, skills that I think are, are clearly mm -hmm. important from a resilience perspective and trust perspective and teamwork perspective. Um, so there are, diff there are definitely different ways of measuring that and then, you know, doing, you know, like post and pre and post sort of tra uh, mm. assessment if people are interested in that. Um, I think the the key factor I think a lot of organisations though are, are looking at is really how they feel afterwards. Like I think that, you know, assessments are all well and good but I think what people want to feel is that there is a tighter team that there is a stronger sense of teamwork that in fact I think what I would say from a lot and this would be the feedback that I get often is how much the psychological contract within the work environment shifts so if we think about again these are the different constructs that are really important but if we think that what is acceptable and unacceptable in a work environment is very much all the interactions that we have with one another, how we speak to each other, how we interact, how we look at each other, how we respond to questions, um, how, you know, how we give feedback. Do we give positive feedback? Do we give strength-based feedback? Do, or, do, or, or are we only critical? So all of those things contribute to that psychological contract. And what we want to see is organisations that have a better, healthier um, more productive sort of contract after any sort of training or work. And that's what organisations, I think, you know, indicate to me that they're really looking for that more than what's in a assessment tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, um, I hear that um, a business's organisational culture is sort of being defined from the outside in. Mm. And, um, oh, well, the NDIS is changing daily. How would we possibly blah, blah, blah? Mm. Or it's so hard to keep up with this and that and the other and that there's sort of this outside-in approach. But what I love about what you've just said and what you've described is this is very much an inside-out, um, building a strengths-based approach, um, building a high-performance team who have that um, core confidence really and that exchange and that resilience, sort of a dynamic resilience to be able to weather um, and respond to the bigger landscape industry um, goings on. Is that, oh. is that a reasonable way of describing it? I've just thought about it now as you were talking. Yeah, absolutely. So a big part of the work that I do, um, mm. I'm smiling in part because I just got off the phone with someone this morning who um, described to me that she works in a, you know, big health service and she's a clinical educator type of role and they had a terrible uh, results to their performance matters survey. And so one of the things, so they want me to do some, um, got, you know, do some training facilitation with the leaders around um, psychological safety and how to create a culture around that. 
and what they want me to do with the the 45 or so staff within that that part of their organization is to deliver them training in self-leadership so uh, you know because because a big part of this is that you know when you were describing those two things obviously is the locus of control where is the locus of control are we always focused on what's out of our control or what's in our control and that is absolutely an, an continual challenge wherever we are within I would say a business or a, an organization but it's very much it can easily become that default setting where you're constantly feeling like what's bigger is all the stuff that's outside of our control and I think what self-leadership I've developed a, a whole big construct around it is all about shifting our focus to what's within our control what can we do each day each hour each week each month that is inside of our control and of course what that means addressing those broader issues and the contextual challenges that we have but it is about not being so swamped by them or not setting things up in such a way that we're continually only seeing that and not seeing what we can change so it's what I've mentioned before about the whole piece around psychological safety I think there's a whole set of skills that we need to develop that are really long-term um, skills of employment I think we actually have to now break these things down and educate staff about how to lead themselves mm -hmm. about self-management how to be self-aware I don't think just shoving a mindfulness app or suggesting they go off to EAP is enough anymore and I think we need consistent ways that's where I think the biggest gains are when a whole team or a whole workplace engage in this sort of work then they all shift up in their way of operating they have shared language and that's part of what they go get so excited because everybody's more empowered and of course you need to do things to to sustain that but um yeah i hope that answers your question oh just keep talking i just love listening to you talking <laughs> oh that's so kind of you kathy <laughs> uh oh look, i'm totally with you um last week i was in a room um run by virgin unite and it was the future of work and what it is to be a hundred percent human at work and what that work future of a hundred percent humanity will look like and you know it was a really mixed room um as in you know you know global international companies whose names you'd recognize small businesses that you know mm. if there's no uniform yep. in sight there's not even a website um, all sorts of ambassadors and agitators and all the rest of it. And I think what everyone agreed was it is complex, but the shifts that are in place, that we've, the shifts that we've seen in the last one, two, five years are quite remarkable. Remarkable. Quite, quite exponential, really, yeah. and is really setting the scene for a very, um, what I describe as a heart-based economy, a very community-based approach to work and a very inclusive um, basis to work in the future, which lights my OT DNA out big time. Yeah, I think, yeah, I have, I have a lot to say about that and I think um, it's very exciting to see there are so many conferences now, like I think uh, the one that I'm very conscious of, haven't been to yet, but have, uh, you know, work, I think it's called Work Human, 
is mm. based in the in the states there's quite a number of them and i think it is just fabulous to hear what is out there one of the but bringing bring it right back to our sector what is tragic to me um and i know that not all your audience is australian so it'd be interesting to know about other countries but i certainly know in australia for example that when safe work australia has assessed the level of psychosocial climate within the health workforce that the health and community sector is now the lowest compared to other industries and so what i'm thinking a lot about is you know how maybe 20 years ago one of the things that we as the health workforce would have felt proud about was that you know we'd chosen this sort of area and we may not have been paid as much as other people working in different sort of industries but we could really appreciate that we were you know a community that we we were kind to each other that was a high level of altruism not just in the work that we offered to our clients but also that collegiate. we collegiate was very yeah. high that has changed as dramatic as that exponential change that you were just describing that's out there the tragedy for me is that in our industry overall i'm not talking about in small businesses but i'm talking about mainly in the organizations that safe work australia would be assessing is that our industry across the board our, the psychosocial climate has just um you know just nosedive down and that is just tragic you know the level of we hear about the suicides of doctors in australia i know the level of suicides in the uk of nurses is very well known to be i think seven times the national average i can't remember exactly the figures sorry i might may be incorrect but it was just an an alarming sort of level so i wonder you know if in fact a lot of us come into private practice to run our own businesses because we love what we do but we don't love the context that many of us are working and part of the question is then how do we create that more psychologically safe ideal work environment for our staff um that we can support them to perform they choose to come and work with us not in those bigger health organizations that many of them are unbelievably toxic and we want to make sure that we create a different type of environment so i think that's a response to it's 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 out there but it's is it influencing adequately the health industry certainly not in australia certainly not in lots of um areas around the world in health unfortunately and i think so much of it is to do with budgets and priorities of you know where of how health is seen um in our economy yeah yeah i had a very tactile response to um the uh decline um i've read uh sort of similar and just the irony is just so not lost on us being the helping profession but not actually being able to help ourselves and our teams and care just caring for each other where in organizations where just basic care and compassion um for our clients is completely absorbs all of that sort of resource and then we're hideous to each other i mean i'm saying we but it that's part of what's going on and you know it concerns i mean i've seen so much of it and it it's mm -hmm. just yeah yeah it's got it's 
senior leaders have to set the tone. It's there's no doubt. It doesn't. It's not just an up to frontline staff to care for their clients. It's got to come from at every self. level. Yeah, lead self, lead self. What is in your future? In my future, mm. Mm, well, I'm really looking forward to. I've started working more and more in that corporate sector, and to be honest, they pay quite significantly more. Love honesty on this so, conversation. Yeah, yep. I think that's a big, um, important thing for me. I love contributing to the OT um, health industry. I love all of that, but. Um, Going out to corporate land is really interesting from a few different levels. I, you know, I can get paid, um, you know, three times as much on a day of training than I would uh, working within health. And do you know that it's so much easier? Their expectations are so much lower. And, um, sure and because, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what I mean by that is that they're hungry for what yeah. we know and also that they are not used to the, the level of clinical and academic study that yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what I mean, so I, not, not, they expect a lot, don't get me wrong, they expect Absolutely. very high quality, but it's quite different to the level of academic rigour um, and that, it, that it, I'm expected to bring when I'm uh, delivering training to health professionals. And so it's so much easier, to be honest. I mean, it's and the gap between what I know and they know is, you know, just so much greater. Again, it's not, it's significant already within, within the health industry, but um, within that sort of environment, it's just exponentially higher so I love bringing that and I love I recognize that I've learned so much from my mental health background I would say even 10 years ago that my mental health background was a liability more than an asset because people didn't want to know about mental health now the fact that I've got a mental health background corporates love because I'm, you know, like that's where their focus is. They're recognising the importance of all of that. So the fact that I've got that neuroscientific background, the fact that I'm an expert in groups, the fact that I've delivered training to, you know, 35,000 people all over Australia and New Zealand, it's it's huge. It's never yeah. 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 And so, so I think just continuing to, yeah, give more talks at conferences to deliver more in-depth programs uh, around, and particularly around that leadership and self-leadership development. I've got um, an eye on a 12-month coaching program specifically for women professionals, probably starting the middle of next year. So that'll be a newer type of offering. I've done things like that before, but sort of more pitched at that, uh, a broader workforce, not just health. So, yeah, I'm... Just, yeah, and three books, like, have just got to get done. So that's very exciting to, for me to be being an author and um, so looking forward to having my book published early next year. Ooh, so, is there a yeah. release date? No release date, no. No pressure, no release date. No pressure. I, I don't. I, 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 it 
yeah, I, I, it's not needed. I'm a hard worker and um, working well on it. So, it, but it does. I think what I've learned. I mean, I know you've written a book as well. I don't know if you've, you've written another one since your first book, but I think a lot a book has a life of its own. And I wrote a lot in the first half of the year, and then with a lot of travel, less so. And part of it was that I really needed to rethink the last couple of chapters, how I had structured them wasn't working. For, it just had a life of its own. So I've just learned I've actually just needed to stand back and can't um, just drive that process and to just trust it. So, yeah, but that's great. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Mm. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. All righty. Well, you can have the very last say. What message would you like to leave with for allied health business owners to reflect on? I think self-trust is huge. And I think that one of the reasons that we often get very... Um, where our locus of control becomes very externalised and we worry so much about the NDIS and all of those sorts of things is because we lose trust in ourselves. And so I would say over the years that's been um, when I've been approached to work with business owners um, within health and outside of health, self-trust is a huge thing. I think that it really is an incredible driver and incredible um game changer when we can learn to trust ourselves more and that means more personal work not just business skill development it's it's doing some of that inner work um, maybe to change some of our the sort of inner narratives that we have of self-leadership of self-awareness and self-management and actually allow ourselves actually to trust um, you know, we want our staff and our clients to trust us, but often I think we don't trust ourselves to the degree to which we want other people to trust us. And I think that can be a significant thing. So in the spirit of psychological safety, I reckon self-trust is a really big, one really big, maybe hidden, but vital piece in all of that. Mm. Oh, could not agree more. Thank mm. you so much. So oh, in the sh go on. No, it's such a pleasure. <laughs> Love chatting with you, Kathy. Thank you so much. Well, when this book comes out, we'll have to get you back for a bit of a chatteroonie on, on that one. So thank you so much. In the show notes, there'll be links to your website uh, and your contact details. So thank you so much for uh, another layer of wisdom. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me from your, for your great questions and for the great contribution that you make, Kathy, to so many business, allied health business owners. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. Now I'm blushing. See you. Be well. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues.